It's my favorite time of the year. Tape eating season. Everybody's watching film of these NBA prospects, projecting them to all these teams. Now, we will have the draft in eight days. To help us get ready for that, ESPN's Jay Billis will join us here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. I've eaten tape. I've watched the film. And we're diving into the NBA draft here in a moment because free agency's coming up around the corner. Everything's coming in thick and fast. We've got you set on utahjazz.com. Draft coverage brought to you by University of Utah Health. It's the trusted healthcare provider for the Jazz family. It can also be for yours. Visit uofuhealth.org slash jazz. Here's how these shows are going to go. We'll talk prospects at the beginning, and then you'll hear from a draft mind, who they're loving, who they like in this year's class. you hear that at the end. I think you have to consider, when we're talking about the draft, not all these guys are going to hit. But there are qualities that, if they land in the right spot, they can all be successful. If you're reading the reports, you know we've already covered some of the stuff about how the cap is going to situate what free agency is going to look like, you can listen to our podcast with Bobby Marks. Bobby talked about potential scenarios for the team. So if you want that primer, go ahead. Listen to it back. As far as the draft, top five prospects, I'm just looking at ESPN's best available. Their draft board, it's going to reflect our draft board that we're using here on utahjazz.com. In no way affiliated with the front office. No insider information there. I'll be going through one through five on this show. Drumroll, please. ESPN has LaMelo Ball as the number one rated draft prospect for 2020. What stands out for LaMelo? Playmaking. He's going to come in and immediately be a game-changing playmaker, keep the ball moving. His passing is elite. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He's a tall point guard, 6'7", 190. Played in the NBL last season. We've known about LaMelo Ball for forever. The game that he played against Zion was watched on Facebook by 800,000 people. He's going to bring immediate star power to whoever he lands with. The concern is he struggled to score efficiently. In the NBL, he was given some possessions, and he just jacked shots. Shot decision-making, something that another guy in the top five also has an issue with. You'll hear... Jay's take on LaMelo in just a moment, but I trust a player who is willing to pass. It's good vibes. If we're looking at the vibe drab choice, that might be LaMelo. And if you've been indoctrinated under this Jazz Quinn Snyder-ish system, everybody touching the ball and seeing great passers, you have to appreciate that type of player. LaMelo is elite at that skill. Number one rated according to ESPN. Number two, Anthony Edwards, guard out of Georgia. He went there because the coach, Tom Crean, had coached Dwayne Wade and Victor Oladipo, two of his favorite players, has a relationship with those two NBA guys. This is Jay Billis's top prospect, according to his big board. And let me tell you, I saw the thing in person on Zoom. Huge big board. Huge, huge board. The biggest. There are no other boards that are bigger. Anthony Edwards stands out. He'll be able to score day one. Creates his own shot. Was asked to do a lot at Georgia. And that's why if you're looking at how he played in college and how it can translate to the NBA, you can be concerned by how 
how his team wasn't so great. But he's a freshman who took all the scoring load, all the playmaking load from the players before. The question mark is, can he defend at this level? Well, how often are you choosing for defense? I had Jim Beheim tell me one time about all the players that get shirked for playing the 2-3 zone. How often are teams picking for defense in the draft? And ordinarily not. Defense and threes have been prioritized nowadays, and that can be a huge skill that can jump you up, but you still have to be able to shoot it at this level. And you still have to be able to shoot it to create your own shot. Those things are prioritized. And that's where Anthony Edwards jumps in. He's built like a football player. Tom Crean mentioned this during his recruiting process. He's early on in his basketball development, kind of a late adapter to the sport, like Donovan. Donovan was a baseball player. Well, Anthony Edwards, if you watch his tape from Pee Wee football, yeah, he looked like a huge recruit on that side. So he needs to get better decision-making, but that'll come with more reps playing basketball. Best recruit UGA has gotten since Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and he will set the record for the highest guy taken from that school coming up. Third on ESPN's draft board, James Weissman. Only saw three games of him at Memphis because he was hung up with the NCAA issues. But Weissman's a player. He was slated as one of the top recruits from way back. He's been on the radars of the Mike Schmitz, of the Kevin O'Connors, of any draft expert, you know, Chad Ford. Everybody knew about James Weissman early on in his career when he was a 15-year-old that he was going to be so huge. There's a reason why he was nicknamed the big ticket. He has the finesse. Will he have the steal to play big in the league. David Thorpe, who's been on this podcast, called him the best player in the draft. He labeled him as a hybrid between Anthony Davis, Bam Adebayo. Great measurable, 7'1", 240. Confident that his shot making will be better because he shot 70% from the free throw line. And you'll hear this throughout all of the draft pontificating. Free throws more indicative of three-point success than three-point percentage. If they don't shoot a great three-point percentage in college or international game, but their free throw shooting is good, that's a better indicator. It's a set shot. It's a free throw. So Wiseman has that has that skill set. Very Chris Bosch-esque, as Jay Billis will say in just a moment. He could be a difference maker if he goes two to the Warriors. Wiseman's been a prospect that everybody's been looking at for a long time. Four on the draft board for ESPN. Denny Avdia played for Maccabee Tel Aviv, Israeli wing, 6'9", 215. He's getting the Luka Doncic comparison because nobody wants to miss on the international player. What we were talking about with Wiseman and his three-point shooting, not the same for Avdia. 58% from the free throw line. Just 32% from three. It's him and Killian Hayes who are going to be the top prospects for the international game. Kevin O'Connor loves Killian Hayes over at the ringer. He rates him as the top guy on his board. The more I watch Avdia, the more I like. He's skilled. He can create right-hand dominant. But being 6'9", he has the body type and the operating skill of Joe Ingles. Avdia played quality minutes with a good European team. He is nowhere near the type of prospect as Luka Doncic. But his ability to create and his basketball IQ, that's what's keeping him in the top five. 
and rounded out USC's Onyeka Okongwu. Now, he played with LaMelo at Chino Hills. I watch a lot of Okongwu because of the Pac-12. You'll hear me talk about the Pac-12 with Jay Billis, how often I'm watching that league. But Okongwu played alongside Nick Rokostovich. He played with two other bigs at times for USC, so he's adaptable. He's going to be a defensive player to start really good on that side of the floor. Unlike Wiseman, he doesn't have that outside game. It's going to be lobs. It's going to be rim runs. But he is a great offensive rebounder and a good shot blocker. Just one year on campus learning Andy Enfield's system, Okungwu isn't someone that you knew beginning of last year. He came on late, and now that he's in the fold, I can see him being a valued rim protector. Average three blocks a game, 16 points, eight rebounds. He has the right makeup and the tools to be a successful NBA player. So that's one through five. Go through five through ten next time up, and we'll be going in fives after that. So don't worry. We've got you covered on the Utah Jazz draft as they pick at 23. And don't worry, just because we didn't get through the 23rd best prospect, we go through a lot of back-end talents with Jay Billis in just a moment. It's almost a good thing that I watch so much Pac-12 basketball because some of the prospects towards the end of the first round are Pac-12 guys. Jaden McDaniels out of Washington. Isaiah Stewart, his teammate. Nico Mannion and Josh Green. Green's getting a lot of buzz for the Utah Jazz. Saw him in Hollinger's mock draft today that he has him going here. But before we get to Jay, a reminder. Our draft coverage brought to you by University of Utah Health. U of U Health sports medicine experts give you the same care they give the Jazz because you belong in the game as much as anyone. Call 801-587-2222 or go to sportsmed.uofuhealth.org right now. Jay Billis on the draft. And since he's a former teammate of Quinn Snyder, had to start there with Jay. ESPN's draft analyst and the college basketball czar on Round Ball Roundup. Quinn was such a a great player. And when he was a freshman, I was a senior. And so I had been involved as much as a player can be in his recruiting. And, you know, when I first met Quinn and uh, on his visit, uh, we we all knew, hey, we got to get this guy because he's not only a great guy, but a great player. And so I used to, you know, call his... uh, uh, call his house, you know, making recruiting calls, which you could do back then. And there were no cell phones or anything. And his mom would always answer the phone. Uh, and uh, and he was, you know, usually out uh, playing ball or something or out with his friends. But, uh, you know, Quinn could really, uh, could really jump. And he was quick and fast and uh, long-armed and gangly and uh, re- just a great player. But he was playing behind two uh, you know, two superstars and Johnny Dawkins and Tommy Amaker. So back then, you know, you had to, you had to serve sometimes an apprenticeship. And I think the story you're, you're talking about is uh, Quinn went up to dunk in a game and uh, he had a breakaway and wound up, you know, wound up missing it. And uh, you know, in film session, you know, coach K got on him pretty hard and it wasn't about athleticism as much as it was just make the shot. And so he, he had told him like, don't dunk, 
uh, which, you know, Quinn, all of us knew that he didn't, Coach K didn't mean that. Why would you tell a great athlete not to dunk? And he did dunk the rest of the season and the rest of his career. But, uh, but we, we, uh, we gave him a pretty good, uh, we gave him pretty good ribbing over that one. What was in the water over there at Duke at that time? You had Billy King, a future NBA general manager at it. At another point alongside Quinn Snyder, Danny Ferry, another NBA GM, and obviously Quinn being a head coach. What was it about that group that knew that they would be involved with basketball beyond their college years? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think most of us on that team in the 80s stayed involved in basketball in one way or another, whether it was front office work or, you know, I've, I've been in basketball broadcasting uh, since then. And you know, you've had guys that got into coaching. I coached, I was an assistant for a little while, but, but so many guys have coached in college was Tommy Amaker, Johnny Dawkins, you, you name it. Uh, so we've all pretty much stayed in or around the game for, uh, for our life's work. And I was, I, I remember talking to Tommy Amaker about this years ago and, and just uh, the fact that we had all done that. And I, I joked that none of us wanted to get a real job, you know, and, and he said, no, that's, that's not it, uh, in his judgment. He, he thought because we had such a great experience together and such a great experience in the game, we wanted to try to duplicate that going forward. And I thought about that, and I think he's probably right, that, you know, we enjoyed our experience so much. And we really, we really were a great group of friends that were all very different. Uh, and that's one of the beauties of basketball, I think, is – you know, you have all these different backgrounds, um, and that may be true of a number of other sports. I'm just, you know, picking basketball because I love it the most. But, you know, people in different backgrounds uh, that can share, you know, share the game in, in the way that we did, uh, it's pretty pretty special thing that you try not to take for granted. Did you know Quinn Snyder was going to be a coach one day? Well, yes and no. Um, I knew that uh, Quinn was the smartest player on our team not only smartest on the floor, but smartest off. Uh, he was a, a great student and he picked up things really easily and broke them down to the nth degree. I think I, I, I'm probably wrong in this, but, but I think I'm close that if you, if you were to try to pick a player out from, from the 80s and said, well, that guy had the makings of an analytics guy an understanding of analytics before analytics were a thing. I think Quinn would probably be one of, one of those guys, if not the guy. And so he had a, a tremendous capacity for, for breaking things down to their essence and studying them and understanding them on a granular level. But he was so good at so many things that, you, you know, you couldn't peg him in one thing. Like he had gone to law school and business school at the same time and gotten a joint degree um, you know, he was always academic, all this, academic, all that. Um, and so he had so many possibilities in front of him. You couldn't pick just one and say, okay, that's what he's going to do. I mean, I think the rest of us were, were a little more, I don't want to say we, we weren't one-dimensional, but we weren't as multi-dimensional as Quinn. And so it was harder to peg him. Um, but once he got into basketball as, as a coach, you knew um, you know, he's going to kill it in, in this profession because he's just so good. He's so good with people. And he, he doesn't, you know, he's not just a motivator. He inspires people. And, uh, and he's got such a great demeanor with, with people. He's so likable and so easy to be around um, that, that I knew he would be great. He'd be great at whatever he, he chose to do, but I knew he'd be a great coach. Well, I find it so surprising how he was able to get from 
being a college assistant in that college game version of college in the 2000s and the 90s to where he is now coaching in the NBA with the analytics driven staffs that you have to have now, how he's been able to, to fit in both and have success at both. It's been a remarkable journey for him. And, and it's taken him far and wide from Russia to, to Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, he's, he's really put his time in. But I, I don't see the same separation that some others do between college basketball and pro basketball, uh, things like that. Uh, I think if you understand the game and, and can coach the game and communicate the game, you'll be successful on whatever level. And I may be, I may be remembering this wrong, but I, I, I remember really his first job being in the NBA that he right. worked for the Clippers and yeah. for Larry Brown first before he, he became an assistant at Duke and then the head coach of Missouri and all that. So like, like most, you know, like most basketball lifers, his, his journey's taken him literally all over the world first as a player and then as a, as a coach. Uh, but one thing's been really consistent and that's been not, not only his love for the game, but his willingness to study it and to, do whatever it takes to learn it. Um, and then uh, he really does love people. Um, he's, he's, he's very much a people person. And so like he appreciates what all his different players uh, can bring his assistants. Uh, and he's, he's ultra competitive. Um, so you put all those things together and you've got, you got a, a winner right there. And he's had success with the Utah Jazz as they continue to try to build on what they did in the bubble. Let's look at the draft as this is coming up in a little over a week, actually. I know you're high on Anthony Edwards. I caught you on that Edwards Maxi Pro Day. What separates Edwards from the pack and what are the qualities that you think he can contribute at the NBA level? Yeah, I'm not sure how far he's separated from the pack, but I do think he's the best overall prospect. And, you know, Mike Schmitz, who does such an amazing job of, of scouting for, for us at ESPN, has LaMelo Ball up at the top as the most talented prospect. Um, I don't think he's as talented, frankly, as, as Edwards. Uh, but, but I'm probably factoring in his athleticism uh, into that. And, and, you know, if you separate skill from athleticism, he might be – LaMelo Ball might be the most skilled. But the whole package, I, I put I put Edwards above him. Like Edwards is uh, a, a freak athlete. He's built like a linebacker. Uh, he's got tremendous body balance, and and he he can he can go either way uh, e equally well. Uh, he shoots it well, though his percentages don't reflect that as much because he takes a lot of difficult shots. And I think he has to learn sort of how to balance in getting to the rim and getting to the free throw line more to be more efficient. But uh, th there's no denying his ability level. Um, I think as he learns to be a better, more focused defender, because uh, he's got all the tools, like he's got all the tools to be great. It's just a question, is he going to, at 18, 19 years old, is he ready to put that all together? And, you know, the other one that I think is compelling as the number one pick is James Wiseman, who was at Memphis for a very short period of time before he, he basically walked away over that whole NCAA issue. And Wiseman's uh, a prototype big guy for today's game. Um, it, it's odd. Like I, five years ago, maybe 10, I would have put Wiseman number one without argument. But because the game has changed so much and it's become more perimeter oriented, 
Uh, I'm probably given a little short shrift to Wiseman, but he's 7-1, left-handed, long arm, block shots, lob threat, runs, very mobile, can step away and shoot it. I think he's a, a little bit of a bigger Chris Bosh in that regard. And, uh, and I, I think he's got a chance to be, to be great. They, this year's draft doesn't have uh, a no-brainer. It doesn't have like these, some of these like surefire uh, Hall of Fame type players but it's got a lot of really good players and a lot of it's kind of, you know, got some possibilities for upside that are, are really pretty exciting, but you know, we haven't, there are just so many unknowns. We just haven't seen as much of these players. So we're operating a little bit at an information deficit that we haven't seen in the, in the modern years. And it'll be interesting to see how that comes out and who benefits from it. Um, because you're going to have to rely on film more than you did in the past. And maybe that's going to be better than, than workouts and, you know, kind of what you see in the here and now uh, maybe going on the, the film body of work will help make better decisions. I, I just don't know the answer to that one. Well, that's why I think for draft nuts, that pro day was so anticipated. We all, we all gathered around to watch that. And we're so excited to see Maxi and Anthony Edwards actually uh, play basketball after such a, a layoff. How do you think that players are going to handle that, the having so much time off from not even having an NCAA tournament, some conference tournaments got started but didn't finish? How do players get through that moment to where they're going to be drafted next Wednesday? That's a great question. I think it's much like we're all having to adapt and adjust. I think it, adaptability uh, and having a positive attitude is going to be the, the most important thing. You know, I think most of these players are so young, they don't know in in one regard what they're missing out on uh sort of the normal experience but you know right now these players would be in training camp getting you know prepared the season had started already so they they not only missed the end of their last season with the NCAA tournament being canceled uh and their conference tournaments being being jetted but they haven't had a summer league they haven't had a normal experience of moving to an area getting an apartment or buying a house whatever they would do and settling in um, they don't even know where they're going yet. And the season's going to start in a month and a half. And, and they don't have a destination. So it's got to be unsettling uh, for them. But everybody in this draft is, is in the same boat, if you will. And they'll just have to adjust and adapt to it. We're all having to do that. Um, and then we're having to do it in a, a time frame where the pandemic seems to be getting, not seems to be, it's getting worse. And all the numbers are spiking. And is that going to lead to even more disruption as we go toward a winter when we're all indoors and we're talking about playing an indoor game where there are more games and more travel and more opportunities for, for spread? Um, it just raises so many issues that can be unsettling. So, so having a positive attitude and you know, just sort of controlling what you can control is going to be uh, even more important now than ever. And as we've all seen, the importance of Zoom for this time, Zoom interview, is, it's a huge deal. Uh, what do you think is the deepest position for this draft? Uh, probably the, the wing position. There are a lot of really good guards and wings in this draft. And I'll be interested to see where guys like Tyrese Halliburton of, of Iowa State go. Um, and, and, you know, I think there are so many quality guards. You know, one I've got my eye on is, is Kyra Lewis Jr. of, uh, of Alabama. Uh, I think he could be uh, a, a real gem in the draft that's probably taken just after 15 or so, 15 to 20. 
if if some of these projections are right. Um, but like, I think there are so many guys that fit a profile of a really good NBA player, Halliburton being one of them. Uh, and if you put him, if he gets with the right team right away, um, can take off. And I think, you know, to your original question about why you like Anthony Edwards, I, I think one of the things that's really important for Edwards is going to a good team. If he winds up going to a bad team, um, I think it's going to be a, an issue for his development. Um, because as you know, with, when you have, when you're on a bad team and, you know, you get midway through the season and, and you got no playoff opportunities, a lot of times players tend to go their own way and not, not in a, and I don't mean that in a, in a demeaning way, but you know, you're worried about, Hey, this isn't going well for the team. I got to make sure it goes well for me. And that's not always the best environment for a young, young player to learn, you know, sort of the right way to play. So, you know, whoever gets winds up getting drafted by Golden State early or something like that may have a little bit of a, a little bit of an advantage. It's almost like Tyler Hero going to, uh, you know, Tyler Hero out of Kentucky. I mean, I think he would have been a really good player anywhere, but if he had been drafted by the Sacramento Kings, you know, would we have been talking about what a great job he was doing? I think the answer probably would have been no. We would have likely missed it or it would have been glossed over even though it was the same you know he played the same because he played on a winning team that got to the finals um his successes were magnified well and that's why this is such an interesting draft how many uh mvps can also ha add to their team a, a second overall draft pick golden state really holds a really prioritized spot and concerning the jazz that's another team that you're going to be competing with in the west if you're the Golden State Warriors, who are you looking at and, and who do you, who would you take at that spot? I think we all believe LaMelo, Edwards, Wiseman, somewhere in that top three of that group, who, who would you select? I would, I would take, uh, I would take James Wiseman. Um, I don't think you find big guys like that very often. And I think they're still really important. Uh, you know, if you do, if you decide to go big, I mean, in number two, Wiseman makes the, makes the most sense. There, there's one other guy that I think might be of interest to them, even though he hasn't been mentioned at that level, and that's Isaac Okoro of, of Auburn. Um, you know, I haven't heard a lot of talk about him being, you know, up for a number two pick, but there are so many guys like him. Uh, but, but he doesn't, the only thing Okoro does not do is shoot it. He's, a, he's an excellent defender long-armed, really good underrated passer, a really good passer, um, and a, a, it can really drive the ball, excellent in transition, uh, very good offensive rebounder. Uh, he, he does, he checks a lot of different boxes, and, and I think Golden State could really use somebody like him, and, and Okoro's kind of like, there are a number of players like that in this draft, not, not, maybe not quite as good as Okoro in different areas, but Devin Vassell of Florida State is another one that another long-armed, multi-dimensional wing that can do a lot of different things out there. And that's where the game is headed, sort of the versatility. So it's already gotten there, but, but the, the versatility uh, on both ends of the floor where you can switch. Uh, and Okoro can switch onto any player. And, and you've got to be able to switch defensively to be the most effective. And, uh, and both those guys can do that. Shame on me for uh, bringing on a college basketball person, not mentioning someone who is going to be the college basketball player of the year, Obi Toppin, because he was so dominant elevating that program. Yeah, I'd, I'd say top seven for sure. 
um, you know, Obi Toppin is, uh, he reminds me a little bit of Amari Stoudemire in his player profile. Um, he's super athletic. He's, he's great in transition. Uh, he can step away and shoot it. Uh, very good pick and roll, uh, big guy, um, kind of a hybrid four man. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing I've heard as a, a criticism of him is that he plays too straight up and down that laterally he doesn't have the kind of you know, superior quickness that, uh, that you want, but I think he does just fine in that area. If he's, you know, guarding a pick and roll, all that stuff, I don't think anybody's going to kick him out of the league for, you know, not being as uh, laterally quick as, uh, as Anthony Edwards or something like that. But um, I, I like Toppin a lot. He's a, a great young man. Uh, he's got, got a, a good deal of maturity to him. And, uh, and I think he's going to make an excellent NBA player that, that could go higher than, than, you know, six or seven where he's projected. He could easily go number four. Enough of the lottery. Let's look at the back end of the first round with some of the players that maybe a lot of Pac-12 fans have seen. Josh Green, Nico Mannion are being slotted sort of in that back end of the first round. What are your impressions on those players? And then the other Pac-12 player in the back end of the first round, Jaden McDaniels as well, and, and Isaiah Stewart over at Washington. Well, starting uh, on the back end of that first, um, Stewart, uh, Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels are both really good prospects. Um, Stewart is a little bit bigger and wider and a better rebounder, uh, a little bit better in the low post, uh, but can also run and step away. McDaniels is really skilled. Uh, really skilled and, um, uh, you know, thin, wiry, uh, but can handle the ball. Another guy that can really run and, and a lot of, lot of potential to be a, a very good player at the NBA level. Shoots it pretty well. Uh, both those guys still maturing. Uh, Stewart's a New York guy that, you know, was recruited by Mike Hopkins when he was at Syracuse and then wound up committing to him out at Washington. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens with, uh, with Green and Mannion that you mentioned from Arizona. Both of them are, are really good prospects. Um, but there are other guys that you could, you could see, well, you know, they could both drop down. Like Mannion could be a second-round pick. Um, and you could see that with Green, too, that he, he drops down a little bit. When, it, when you mentioned Pac-12, one of the guys that sticks out there is, is Tyler Bay of, of Colorado. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that in today's game, uh, is is really valuable because he's a really long-armed athletic defender that that checks a lot of boxes at both ends of the floor as well. And so I wouldn't be surprised. He's probably the best defender um, in that in that group that that sort of uh, borderline first round, high second round picks. I, I would put him as the best defender. Uh, another guy that I think will be interesting, sort of at the end of the first round. And, and we'll see how, how much the NBA values sort of the Draymond Green type blending uh, player is, is Xavier Tillman uh, coming out of uh, Michigan State. Because Tillman is a really good uh, and versatile defender, uh, big guy, left-handed, can shoot it, can really play pick and roll, um, but uh, has a maturity to him of being able to do a lot of different things that I think could be right at the end of the first round. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where that comes out and where guys like Sadiq Bay of Villanova go that, that fit that bill of being a kind of Jack of all trades type player uh, and, and how, how much the NBA values that, you know, given, given how you've seen 
players like him do well in the last several years in the NBA. Not to keep pushing the Pac-12 muscle, but I watch a lot of Pac-12 basketball and he's gaining a lot of steam. Stanford's uh, Tyrell Terry. What do you see with him jumping up draft boards? Yeah, well, I I haven't seen him since the season, but (laughs) I've been told that he's getting bigger. Um, you know, that he's really kind of put on some muscle and, and he's actually grown, which is not unusual for, you know, these 18, 19 year old prospects that they do continue to get bigger. I mean, look, I'm a lot older than you, but back when I was coming out of college, you know, when you were a 22 year old senior, people weren't saying that you'd stopped improving. You know, those were 22 year olds were considered, you know, green rookies back then. You know, now it seems like you're 22 come out in the draft. You're some grizzled veteran that's reached a reached a ceiling, and none of that's true. But Terry's a, a very good shooter. Um, you know, he obviously handle the ball and pass it. Uh, but but uh, I think his ability to shoot the ball um, is it really sets him apart. And so I think there's a likelihood. I have him. I had him slated sort of at the at the top of the second round if you look at it that way I'm I do this best available list which isn't a mock draft it's more I try to I try to list them based upon how good a pros I think they're going to be and uh and so you know you know like everybody that does this stuff you know you tend to accentuate your your hits and and try to forget your misses I've had a fair amount of misses on these things but I've got I've got Terry uh sort of in the in the low 30s as a, as a prospect that, that I think he's got a chance to be a, a very good NBA player. Drafting. I heard one GM compare it to uh, baseball averages. If you hit 300 hall of famer, it's like that 50% of the time you hit on a, a draft pick, you could get it done. Another name that I hear a lot of people talking about TCU Desmond Bain is someone that's jumping up mock drafts and it's what stands out with him. Shooting um, Desmond Bain can really shoot the ball. And he's got excellent range. Um, one of the things, though, that stands out about him the most is he is already a finished product as a person. Like, he is about as mature as any prospect I've ever seen. Uh, so he's going to step into the league ready to contribute in the locker room, in the community, the team, everything. And picks up concepts really smart. Uh, so I don't see any any downside in him it's not like you're you're you're, with Desmond Bain you're not betting on how good he's going to be you know he's good already and so you you know he's ready made to step in and and do well right away so it wouldn't surprise me he's another guy that I had sort of if you go by round uh in it I think I, I have him in the in the late 20s early 30s if I remember right and uh so he he could easily be a first round pick um, and he's got that kind of game, but his ability to shoot the ball and, and his size set him apart. But his maturity, man, you don't, you just don't see that very often in a, in a player. Wrapping up here with Jay Billis of ESPN in just a moment. Next five years, who are going to be the all-stars coming out of this draft? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think guys like... Devin Vassell, Isaac Okoro that we talked about, that could have Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, obviously, the top the top three we mentioned seem the most likely. Um, there's a, a, a wing from Israel in this year's draft na- named uh, Denny Avia, who is very, very talented. And given the success of 
you know, players like Luka Doncic, I think it enhances Avdia's profile because people tend to think that way in boxes that somehow, you know, the next uh, really skilled player from overseas, you know, that could be something like it. It it tends to happen with guys from different schools. I've heard this a lot about Tyrese Maxey. It was discussed that, you know, given the success of Tyler Hero and, uh, you know, some other Kentucky players, um, you know, that, that, that Maxie's more attractive. Um, I don't look at it quite that way, but when you look at it just from the fact that Avdia can really play, uh, uh, you know, he's going to be in the, you know, he could be the fourth pick, he could be the ninth pick, but that's a, a pretty good range for a, a talented player. There's a player from Florida State. I mentioned Devin Vassell earlier. There's a teammate of his, really young, uh, and did not play as much as Vassell, but he played in a system under Leonard Hamilton where it was like a hockey team. They, they, they played in shifts and played till they got, they, they played so hard they had to come out, is Patrick Williams. Uh, Patrick Williams is about 6'8", um, like freakishly long arms, huge hands, can run, rebound, defend, shoots it very well, makes his free throws, and, and he's still a really young player. I wouldn't be surprised to see him as a top 10 player. And then we look back in this draft and in future years and go, how did he not go number two or whatever? Um, he's very, very talented. And I think, you know, sort of in using a cliche, he really is just kind of scratching the surface of how good he's going to be. How did he not start when he is a six man coming off the bench for, for FSU? You know, I think it was one of those things where, you know, Leonard Hamilton had so many older players that were, um, you know, more suited to starting. And then he could, he could use Patrick and bring him along like, like the old days a bit. Uh, and that, that I think speaks really well of, of Patrick Williams as he wasn't like going, Hey man, I'm a, I'm the next great thing. I have to start type of deal. Um, he, he, he was very much a teammate and did what his team needed him to do. But he played a ton of minutes and he did start games, but, but um, he just didn't, it wasn't like if he had gone somewhere else, he would have played more. I don't know that he would have necessarily experienced the same kind of success, uh, but he just happened to play on a team that was loaded with, with good players and that the team was better if everybody played a little bit less, if that makes sense. They could play harder for less time and have more of them do it, and and their team was better. And I think Florida State would have, absent the pandemic shutting the season down, there were a few teams, Florida State and Dayton were among them, that that could have done something really special as, as far as Final Four winning the national. They were good enough to do that. Yeah, that's why I'm sure a lot of college basketball fans, just basketball fans in general, just so disappointed over not having that NCAA tournament. It would have been so entertaining um, not to put you on the spot for next year's uh, draft, but with college basketball coming up, who are the college players to watch for next year's draft uh, of guys that really will stand out during this college basketball season? God, you are putting me on the spot. I'm, I'm, I'm a week away from this year's draft. I'm not even thinking about next year's draft. But then after um, you've got college basketball coming up. But, you know, that that's kind of the, the funny part about this and, and it is – Last year, about this time, we were predicting that Obi Toppin was going to be, you know, sort of a star in college. But I don't, I don't know that. Even though, like, I picked him as the breakout player, all that stuff. Again, you know, picking your your hits instead of your misses. 
Um, you know, I, I, I wasn't thinking, hey, he could be in the mix for the number one pick before the season started. So that's maybe that's one that you pointed out earlier. That's kind of one of the beauties of basketball right now, even though we used to love the certainty of players coming back and knowing who is going to be good. Now we, we have a lot of this thrust upon us and, and we get, to, there's more discovery in the game than ever before. And, and I'm going to have to get out there and discover it just like everybody else. And there's, there's a lot of, a lot of digging to do before we get to next year's draft. That was an expert dodging of a question, I think. Well that done. Is, You've been watching the political coverage. Step. Now you're acting like a politician. Sidestep. That was a sidestep. <laughs> Total backpedal and sidestep. Killian Hayes, step back jumper. Excellent job. He is Jay Billis on our draft coverage. Our draft coverage brought to you by U of U Health, the number one ranked hospital by U.S. News for seven years. ESPN's Jay Billis on Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Jay, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me.